Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Amen. Are you glad you're saved this morning? Amen. Amen. It's good to see some of you back with us this morning. I know we've had some gone for a couple weeks, and we missed you being here. Amen. Uh, it's a blessing to have Miss Brandy back on the piano this morning. Say amen right there. Uh, we just, you know, the thing about a church family is you notice when there's pieces missing. Amen. And it, it, it's good to have everybody that's here this morning. I mean that. Take your Bible to John chapter 3, uh, if you would. John chapter 3 this morning. Um, Lord just kind of put this passage on my heart a couple days ago and and uh, it's a very familiar passage in John chapter 3. It has, of course, in it that verse that is certainly the most quoted, um, probably the most well-known verse in all the Bible, I would say, John 3.16. Uh, we're not going to look at that verse this morning. We're going to look at the first part of the chapter, but I dare say John chapter 3 is one of the most important chapters in all of your Bible. Um, God makes such a clear uh, presentation of our need for a Savior, and not only that, but our only way to heaven in John chapter 3. And uh, we're going to look here in these first eight or so verses, I believe. Uh, I, I don't believe I'll be very lengthy this morning. I just kind of want to give you a simple understanding of this passage and then uh, maybe a, a specific thought there at the end. So John chapter 3, if you're there with me, say amen. 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 John chapter 3 and verse number 1. The Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, God, for allowing us to be in your house today. God, we thank you, Lord, uh, for, for bringing us here together. Lord, thank you, Lord, for, for this church, for this place. Thank you, Lord, for this building. Uh, thank you, Lord, for these people. God, thank you, Lord. Uh, that you brought us here today, today, God, Lord, to look at your word, Lord, to understand some truth about what your word has to say to us. God, I know this morning that uh, each of us that's come, Lord, we have cares of life 
in our hearts and on our minds. And Lord, we have our, our jobs, our families, Lord, all these things, Lord, that we bring in with us, Lord, from out in this world where we live. God, I pray, help us, Lord, for just a few minutes to lay aside the cares of life. God, help us for a few minutes, Lord, to look at your word, Lord, to, to take in what it is that you're trying to speak to our hearts. God, help me, Lord God, not to have any other thing on my mind or heart this morning as I try to, to present the word of God purely and truly. God, verily, as you said in these verses, God, I pray that you would bless me and help me, Lord, with the power of your Holy Spirit, God, to preach this message with power and unction and truth this morning. And God, I pray... If there's one here today, God, if there is one soul in the building this morning who does not know for sure, without a shadow of doubt, that they are saved, God, I pray that today would be the day that they would be born again. God, we need you. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. John chapter 3 is the account we have here of a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, we're told in verse number 1. He was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And when we think of the Pharisees in the modern context, we think of them in the history of the Gospels. We think of them, in a, if we're being honest, in a mostly negative light. And that is their fault. Amen? I mean, I mean, the Lord told them they didn't even know God. They didn't even know the Father because they were so tied up in their own uh, ideas about religion and stuff. But not every individual who would have called themselves a Pharisee during the time of the life of Christ was a reprobate. Not everyone who was a Pharisee was a greedy, envious, wicked, prideful person. Many of them had entered into that role, which was the closest doctrinally uh, of the Jews to what would have been considered the true law. Uh, they were certainly more close to proper doctrine doctrinally than the Sadducees, who didn't even believe in a resurrection. I mean, they had a lot of understanding about a lot of good things. And because of that, they were considered rulers of the Jews. Now, we know that at this time, the Jews were under Roman political rule. But as far as their religion went, as far as the faith went uh, of the law and such, there was no one who had more authority, if you would, than the Pharisees. And here comes Nicodemus, this man, who is among them, a number of them. If you go on and read the rest of the, of, of the Gospels, you're going to find that pretty much any other time a Pharisee is mentioned, they are coming at the Lord with an antagonistic viewpoint. And here even, if you pay attention there in those first couple of verses, you'll find that this man Nicodemus uh, has come to him by night. Probably because he did not want his brethren to know what he was doing. Probably because already the word on the street amongst the Pharisees was, we don't like this Jesus character. We don't like what he's doing and we don't like what we're hearing. Uh, but Nicodemus being a man who obviously had a care and a heart and a love for truth, amen, comes to the Lord, and he's gonna, I believe he's come to the Lord to ask him some, some questions, amen? And he comes to him with respect. First, I want you to see this curious caller being Nicodemus, this man, a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee, who, who is very familiar with the Word of God and very familiar with the law. He comes to the Lord and he says, he calls him rabbi, which is a, a term of, it, it is a term of, uh, of honor, you might say. It's a term of respect. Now, he is not necessarily putting himself, putting the Lord Jesus, excuse me, on the same level that he would put himself. But he is putting him at, on the level of a teacher, all right? A Jewish scholar, a teacher, a rabbi, someone who is smart. I mean, they knew Jesus was smart. He was teaching the scribes when he was 12 years old, things they didn't know. 
So they knew he was smart, and they knew that when he got to talking, he knew things about the law that they didn't know, and he could, he could expound things that they couldn't expound. And they knew that about him, and so he calls him rabbi, and he gives him that respect. He said, we know that thou art a teacher, but he doesn't just say that, but he says thou art a teacher come from God. Now, I, I want to ask you to turn there, but we could parallel that statement with what the Pharisees say in John chapter 9 when the Lord heals the blind man, and they said he's of the devil, that, that he is doing power by Satan, essentially. Whereas uh, here, that's not what Nicodemus is saying. He's saying, we, we, we know you're from God. I think Nicodemus is being a little bit political when he says we. Amen? Say who? You and the mouse in your pocket. That's who think that he's from God. Because all the other Pharisees did not necessarily think, well, this is a godly man. They didn't, or at least if they did, they weren't saying it out loud. Amen? Here he comes, and this man, he's curious. He's hearing about the Lord Jesus and he says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Not only that he's a teacher, but that he is from God. Come from God. That, that is a statement right there, come from God, which is to say that God had sent him, right? God has sent you to do some teaching, but not just teaching, but then he said this, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Another interesting parallel to John chapter 9 when they brought that blind man before him and they said, who did these things? And you know, he, they said, well, do we believe this man has is, is got, is got a devil. He's doing it by the power of a devil. And the blind man said, I thought the only ones who could heal the blind are those who came from God. Which is funny. You got the blind man then teaching the scribes. And they said, get out of here. We don't want to talk to you anymore. So you can see here that, that, that Nicodemus is saying, we know, we Pharisees, I guess you could say, those of us who are spiritual. Uh, he wouldn't use that word probably. He would have just said the religious, right? The Sanhedrin. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. I mean the top, if you will, of the religious sect at that time. We know that thou art a teacher. Come from God. Because otherwise, how could you have been doing these miracles that you've been doing? Now, the, the only we know in chapter 2 how that he turned the water to wine and, and we know those things. And, and, and the Lord is going to perform many, many more miracles throughout his his lifetime, but as he's doing these miracles, I don't know exactly what all has been brought to his attention, to Nicodemus' attention that the Lord has done, but it's enough that he is willing to sneak over at night, not tell any of the other brethren what he's doing, and ask him some questions. Now, I believe from Nicodemus' point of view as this curious caller who's come to the Lord's door and he's come there to speak to him, he is coming from the perspective of well, I am actually the, the religious authority extending to my hand to this young, this young man, Jesus, who obviously can teach and has come from God. And I'm curious, you know, what is he going on? Maybe we could, maybe we could have some mutually beneficial agreement, right? There, maybe there was something there that could be done, some, some partnership, if you will. I, I don't know exactly what it was. Maybe it was just a curiosity if he just wanted to know, but maybe he had some ideas or thoughts in his mind. But I want you to look at the Lord's response the Lord does not address really anything that Nicodemus says in verse number 2. Nicodemus opens it, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God, and for no man can do the miracles thou doest except God be with him. And here's what the Lord says in verse number 3. Jesus answered him and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the, temp he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's a pretty harsh tonal shift. There's no discussion about where he's from. You see that? Jesus doesn't say, you're right, I am from God. I'm His Son. He doesn't say, you're right, I am teaching the Word of God. And let me teach you some things about this verse and that verse. And He doesn't say, you're right, I, I am come from God, and I am performing miracles, and I'm going to do other miracles. He doesn't say any of that. He just, he just, he just 
I don't know if he's got a cup of water, but I almost imagine him taking a sip, sitting back, looking at him and saying, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus has come to him from this position of authority, right? I'm a religious scholar and a teacher, and I'm the head of the Sanhedrin, and I'm a a ruler of the Jews, and I have come to extend a hand. And then the Lord says something to him, and I imagine Nicodemus gets this real strange look on his face because the Lord makes this definitive statement. He says, verily, verily, I say unto thee. And that, that verily, verily, we know that means truly, truly. What I'm about to tell you is an absolute fact. This is not my opinion. This is not some thought. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not pontificating. I'm not giving some uh, thought for discussion and wanting to see what you think. I'm telling you, this right here is a fact. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, you just, you just jumped from the start all the way far down the line. I mean, we're now in the deep doctrine. And Nicodemus leans back and he looks at him and he's sitting there and, and the Lord didn't just make a definitive statement saying, verily, verily, I'm telling you what I'm about to say is a fact, but he makes a very divisive statement. He draws a line in the sand. And he's going to make a statement that makes no sense to Nicodemus. And that statement is this. If you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Now, here's what they think. If you're not a Jew, you won't see the kingdom of God. If you're not a believing and practicing Jew, you will not see the kingdom of God. Everybody else is going to be destroyed, and we will experience God's kingdom. That's what they think. But what is this born-again business all about? I mean, Jesus is making a strong statement, and Nicodemus doesn't even know what he's talking about. And And what he is saying is this, Nicodemus, you will never see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Here's this man of the Sanhedrin, this man of the Pharisees, this this religious man, no doubt he's wearing his religious garb and all these things, and he he looks the part and he speaks the part, and everybody knows his name, and suddenly suddenly the Lord Jesus has flipped the lid on him. Nicodemus looked, well, we know that thou art a rabbi, and we know that you're smart and that you're doing miracles. You must be from God. And then Jesus said, Nicodemus, if if you're not born again, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God. And, And suddenly Nicodemus is on the defensive, Right? The tone has totally changed. The direction where it would have gone from Nicodemus maybe down to the Lord from his perspective it has now changed. And now the Lord is speaking as he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings in a sense to Nicodemus from a position of authority. And now Nicodemus is the one having to ask the questions. Well, wait, explain this to me. What, what are you talking about? And we see this strong statement the Lord has made. It is a definitive and divisive statement that not only is this a fact, but if you don't get this figured out, the whole ruler of the Jews thing won't mean anything. If you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God, period. Amen. In verse number four, we see a puzzled Pharisee. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, I don't know. It's hard to tell in the context of the verse. But that almost sounds slightly sarcastic, doesn't it? How, 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 how's the, how am I going to be born again? Am I going to go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? You know, that sounds almost kind of joking, right? Almost not, Maybe not mocking, but approaching mocking. Who can say? The, the fact of the matter is this. Jesus is speaking about something that Nicodemus knows nothing about. Nicodemus is completely puzzled by what the Lord just said. What are you talking about? Born again. And in his mind, he begins to try and rationalize it. And the only thing he can think of is being born. 
as a child is born. Then later this year, Lord willing, my wife will, will have our third child. Then a child will be born physically from his mother. And that's the only thing he can imagine in birth of what that really is. How can I be born a second time as a man, as a grown man, as a grown adult? Am I, am I, now that I'm old, supposed to enter again in my mother's womb and be born? That doesn't make any sense. And I don't know, maybe he's trying to retake that position of authority in the conversation, right? Maybe, oh, well, that doesn't even make sense. What you're saying is silly, almost, right? This puzzled look, this thing. But then the Lord begins to deliver a very important distinction. And I'll say this. This is a distinction that Nicodemus should have already considered. You read the Old Testament, yes, there's a lot of physical things in the law. Things they're supposed to do. But they were not strangers to spiritual things. They knew what spiritual things were. The Lord told and there's, the Lord told them there's prophecies about how He would write things on the tables of their heart. How the Lord talked about the circumcision of their hearts. And it's this idea that God does a spiritual work inside of a man. Amen. They were not strangers to the concept of spiritual things. And yet Nicodemus never for a second considers that the Lord Jesus, who he says is a teacher sent from God, is speaking to him about spiritual things. And so then the Lord is going to walk Nicodemus through this by the hand, step by step, very carefully, as if he's a man who's never heard of a spiritual thing in his life. And in doing so, he is not only going to explain it to Nicodemus, but he's going to explain it to us. He says this in verse number 5, Jesus answered, verily, verily, that verily, verily is there again. I say unto thee, it's, it, this is a fact, this is a truth. He said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's giving a, we see here that a, the distinction is delivered in verses 5 and 6. The Lord is not trying to confuse Nicodemus. He does not want to befuddle and confuse him. He wants him to understand. Now, the Lord said, you must be born again. Nicodemus did not get it. And when he did not get it, the Lord did not say, well, you know what, you're going to figure it out on your own. You should know better than this, shouldn't you, and walk away. No, he said, well, let me explain it to you. Every man, if he's going to see the kingdom of God, he is going to have to be born of water and of the Spirit. So there is a distinction of births in verse number 5. He said, you must be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, there's two different things that are described, if you will, two different type of births. Now, I will mention that traditionally, there are two separate prevailing interpretations of this verse. One is a derivative interpretation that is derived from knowledge other places in the Bible concerning what water represents. One interpretation is this. Some look at verse 5. They begin to search the rest of the Scripture for understanding what the Lord means by water and the Spirit, and they assume that both must have a spiritual application. They assume that everything the Lord is saying here has a spiritual application. They must equate water to something spiritual and the Spirit to something spiritual. And if you do that, you can make that work. Can I just tell you? You can make that work. And you can even be right doctrinally by saying this, that the water represents the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 said that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. So we know that water and the Word are often equated to the same thing. 
And that you could say that the Lord is saying if you're going to be born again, you're going to have to be born of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Now, I can go other places in the Bible and I can read. How, how will they believe unless they hear a preacher? And how, how should they preach unless they be sent? So they need to have heard the Word of God and then receive it and then they are baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire, right? So it is a water of the Word and spiritual birth, and then you're saved. Amen. Now that all sounds good, but I don't think that's what the Lord is teaching Nicodemus. Because the Lord Jesus never tells Nicodemus that. The Lord Jesus is teaching Nicodemus, and He is using the things that He and Nicodemus have been talking about. Nicodemus says, how am I to be born again? Am I to be placed back into my mother's womb and born? Here's what the Lord said. If any man's going to go to heaven, he's going to have to experience a birth of water and a birth of the Spirit. Birth of water is the birth of this life. Every single human being, under the sound of my voice, from the youngest to the oldest, has been born once. You've been born of the water. And, I, and, and when I go to look at that, see, I, I told you before, it was a derivative interpretation. We're, we're looking at other places, and we can make that application and say, well, this is an application that you could make, and I don't believe there's anything wrong with that. It is true that salvation comes by the Word of God and a moving of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That is true. But I don't think that's what Nicodemus is learning from the Lord Jesus here. What we have is we have a direct interpretation where the Lord gives a fact and then explains it in the next verse. He gives us everything we need to know about our first and second birth in verse one and verse or in verse five and verse six. Really, he says this: that if any man is going to see the kingdom of God, he must born, be born of the water, born of water and of the Spirit. And in verse five, he says, "That which is born of flesh is flesh; that which is born of spirit is spirit." There are two types of birth in verse number six. Can you see that? Two types of birth in verse number five: birth of water and birth of the Spirit. Verse 6 says, the birth of the flesh, the birth of the Spirit. So we know that the Lord Jesus is saying this, everybody who's alive has been born once. That's the birth of the water. That's the birth of the flesh. But if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to see heaven, and what He's going to call in a few verses, everlasting life, if you want that, you're going to have to be born again. You're going to have to be born a second time. And no, Nicodemus, it does not mean that when you're old, you will return into your mother's womb and be born. I'm speaking about a spiritual birth. You hear that? He said, I'm talking about things that are spiritual. I'm not talking about the fleshly birth of, of the water and the flesh in verse 5 and 6. I'm talking about the spiritual birth which you will note from verse 5 and 6 are both attributed to the capital S, Holy Spirit of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the capital S, Spirit is Spirit, except the man be born of water and the capital S, Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Ghost of God, the Holy Spirit, whom John said there was one coming after him who would baptize with the Holy Ghost and fire. That, that is what the Lord's talking about. He's talking about a spiritual birth. Now, when someone is born, they're brand new, right? When you were born and you came out from, from your mother there and you were born, you were a, a, a brand new baby. You got a brand new name, brand new life. Here you are, right here, this, this child. And the Lord Jesus is equating something spiritual to the same thing to this puzzled Pharisee and giving him this distinction of births. But he also makes this distinction 
of beginnings. In verse, when he says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit, we also can understand this principle that there is a difference between fleshly and spiritual. That which is of the flesh is not of the spirit, and that which is of the spirit is not of the flesh. Can you say amen? Now there have been some times where I've taken a bite of some food and felt like I was having a spiritual experience. But it's fleshly, right? Amen. We went out for our anniversary and I got a, a steak and it was, man, it was just, it was wonderful. And that first bite I thought, wow, I don't know if I've ever had a better steak in my, I mean, you know, in that moment you're just like, oh my goodness, so good. But that's not, I'd say I was having a religious experience. You ever heard anybody say that? But it's not spiritual. It's fleshly. It's pleasing to my flesh. Amen. Things that are fleshly are not spiritual. That's a real deep statement, isn't it? Things that are spiritual are not fleshly. In fact, the Bible tells me that my flesh and the Spirit are at enmity one with another. Paul said, I die daily. Amen. He said, those things I, I would do, I do not. And that I would not, that I do. Why? Because of this old man in me, this, this old flesh, this wicked, because the flesh and the Spirit are different. They're not the same. And things that are different are not the same. And the Lord is trying to get something through to Nicodemus right here. Just because you may think you have righteousness in your flesh is not the same thing as righteousness in the Spirit. Just because you think you have all the knowledge of, of all things concerning the flesh, you do not have all knowledge of things concerning the Spirit. That in order for you to have knowledge of the things concerning the Spirit, you must first be born of the Spirit. Verse 7. We see the Lord begins to give a simple solution. He told him, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. If you're going to go to heaven, if you're going to see the kingdom of God, then you're going to have to be born of both, right? Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and now hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We see an acceptable answer in verse number 7. He said this, marvel not. And we said marvel not, that word marvel, it means to wonder, to... It's something that arrests the attention and causes a person to stand or gaze or, or take pause. It's like, whoa, whoa, what do you mean? Which is exactly what he did back in verse number, what was it, verse number four, when he said, how can a man be born a second time? I, that's crazy. Whoa, what are you saying? And the Lord said, marvel not. Don't, don't be amazed or surprised at what I'm telling you. This is a very simple and acceptable thing that a man would have two births. One being a birth from his physical mother and the other being a birth of spiritual things. Now, when I'm talking about being born again today, I, I'm looking out in this crowd. I know most of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being saved. And, amen? And if I were to say, how many of you are glad you're saved? I'd hear a strong amen from most of you in the place I know this morning. Amen, amen. I've been saved. Thank God I'm saved. But to Nicodemus, this is, this is a brand new concept. To this man, here's this man who's been thinking his whole life, the, all I can do to see the kingdom of God is do the best I can in my flesh. And that is how I'm going to try to see the kingdom of God. And here comes this man, Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher come from God, this man doing miracles, and he says this, those works of your flesh ain't going to get you to heaven. Those works of your flesh, how you dress and, and look so proper 
as that member of the Pharisees and how you speak and how you, how you pray and how you, you read the, the Word and how you know so much about the law. None of that will get you to the kingdom of God. None of that will give you everlasting life. The only thing that will give a man or a woman or a child everlasting life is a spiritual birth. Well, I just believe I'll do the best I can with the time I've got here, and hopefully when I die and I see God on the other side, the good will outweigh the bad. Here's the problem with that. There is no good that you can do to ever outweigh the bad. Because so long as there is bad present, God will not receive you. It is not a matter of whether you have done more good than bad. It is a matter of if you have ever done bad. And if you have ever done bad, then the only way you will ever see God is if you're born again. Because the, the current you has done bad. And the current you who has done bad can never ever exceed, never, never receive the blessing of the kingdom of God because so long as that current you has ever done any bad, you are permanently tainted by that sin. Oftentimes when someone is speaking, especially to a child, so they're speaking to a child and say, uh, before you can ever be saved, you've got to be a sinner, right? You've got to know that you're a sinner and that you need to be saved. Someone who's not lost can't be found, right? Someone who is, who's never sinned can't be saved from their sins. And Sometimes you speak to a child not, not too long back, uh, Peyton was asking me about salvation. She asked me about being saved. It was in a song they were singing, and, and the kids sang, and there was a line in it about, he's come down from heaven to restore me. She said, Mom, that, Mom what, what does that mean, restore me? I told her, you know, well, it means saved. You, know, you get saved, the Lord Jesus, He saves you, He cleanses you of your sin, and He makes you a Christian, right? She says, okay, well, are, are, have you all been saved? Yes, we have. Have I been saved? And I said, no, you haven't yet been saved. And she got really upset about that. She wanted to be saved. But she doesn't understand that she's a sinner. I was talking to my cousin Cooper. He's 18, I think, just graduated high school. He was talking to a young boy at their, at their VBS who was asking about salvation, who'd never been saved. And he was trying to explain to him that we are all a sinner. And we all know the part of the Scripture that says that no, the, no liars will be in heaven, that they'll have their part in the lake of fire. All liars will go to hell, is what the Bible says. Murderers, yes. Liars, okay. So have you ever killed anyone? Well, hopefully the answer is no, amen. Hopefully. Have you ever, so have you ever lied? Well, yeah. Well, are you a liar? You know what most people are going to say? No. Well, let me ask you a question. How many murders do you got to do to be a murderer? It's a simple question, isn't it? I'd say if someone stood up and said, hey, I murdered someone yesterday, we'd say, you're a murderer, and I think a court of law would agree with us. So how many lies do you got to tell before you become a liar? Mm. I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you this morning, I'm a liar. You know how I know? Because I've lied. Now the Holy Ghost inside me hopefully is making me out to not be one. But if that is the determining factor, if that's the line... I passed it a long time ago, and so did every single one of you. Well, it was just a white lie. Well, I don't see that distinction in the Scripture. All liars will have their part in the lake of fire. 
And so they begin to look at that, and, and, and even a child can look at that and understand, okay, well, well, if I'm a liar, the Bible says all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. That means they will go to hell for the lie they told. How many? One. Well, that's a hard thought, isn't it? We say, well, that, that doesn't seem fair. Well, you know what? The truth is this. You want to talk about fairness. We've told more than one lie. We've done more than one bad thing. You ever been hateful to someone? You ever wished somebody else would have hurt or harm in their life? You ever, you ever wished evil on someone, amen? You, you, ever, you ever done something and then later thought, how could I ever have done that? Or how could I ever have thought that? How would you feel if everybody in here this morning could all hear your thoughts? What if God would reach down out of heaven and just for the next you know, 10 minutes or so make it to where everybody in here could hear everybody else's thoughts? Could you look someone else in this building in the eye? Let's be honest. Because the moment I said we can all hear your thoughts, you'd start saying, don't think about this, don't think about this. And then you'd think about that. It's exactly right. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, thank God we can't hear one of each other's thoughts. Because the truth is, deep down we are depraved. That first birth, you know what it did? It didn't do us a whole lot of good. It gave us life. But as far as spiritual things go, that first birth, I've not done a lot of good with it. Can I be honest? I've not done a lot of good with that, that birth of the flesh. I made a lot of mistakes. Have you? Y'all, am I the only one this morning who's made a lot of mistakes? I've had, any of y'all have any regrets? Any of y'all have any things you ever thought, if I had a time machine, I'd? Here's the truth. Jesus said, marvel not. Don't be astonished. Don't be, don't be freaked out about me telling you these things. You need to accept what I'm telling you because this is a simple truth. It's simple. I'm talking about spiritual things. Then he gives an authoritative answer. Ye must be born again. That word must means it's a requirement. Amen? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. And this concept is going to continue throughout all the Bible from this point forward. It is going to build and build and build to the point in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 14, 12, Peter stood and preached, neither is there, any, is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This idea, this, this truth, that Jesus said, marvel not at what I'm telling you. You must be born again. Here's Nicodemus sitting there. And all he's ever really known are physical, flesh things. He's read about spiritual things. He's heard about spiritual things. He knows what they are. But the truth is, he's never been saved. He does not know what the true working of the Holy Spirit of God is in his personal life. The true moving of the Holy Spirit of God isn't really going to happen concerning salvation until the day of Pentecost as it is. But here we have it, and he's telling him, listen, you want to see heaven? Physical works ain't going to get you there. 
Verse 8, he brings it right down into his lap and he says, he gives him not only this authoritative and acceptable answer, but he gives him an available answer and I'm done right here. He tells him about that Holy Spirit. He tells him about that birth, that moving of the Spirit. He said this, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Jesus says later in John 6, 44, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Any of y'all saved this morning? Anybody who, with, with the raising of your hand, testify, say, Brother Paul, I know I'm saved. When you got saved, did the Holy Spirit draw you? I remember when I was eight years old and I was sitting in that pew at Olive Hill Baptist Church and my dad was preaching. I have no idea what he's preaching on. No idea. Couldn't tell you for anything. Couldn't tell you for, for the life of me what he's preaching on. But there's something I could tell you very clearly. For some reason, I stopped drawing Ninja Turtles. As an eight-year-old, looked up at, at my dad as he was preaching. And I immediately felt a powerful presence pulling at my heart. I didn't hear an audible voice out of heaven, but I can tell you right now, the voice speaking in my heart very clearly was saying this, if you died right now, you would go to hell. And the only way you can escape it is if you will get saved. And I felt a drawing. It was like there was a, a rope lassoed around my heart that was right here at the altar pulling me this way. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever experienced that, that, that fear, that feeling of I've, I, I, I need to be saved, I need to be bored again? It's that drawing... Here's what the Lord told Nicodemus. He said, think about the wind. You can hear it, but you don't see it. You don't know where it was a minute ago, and you don't know where it's going when it left. And that is exactly what it was like when the Holy Ghost said in my heart, I didn't see him coming. I didn't go, oh no, here he comes, and wait for him to get there. And when, when he was going, I didn't see him go to someone else's heart. I, I don't know where he came from. In my mind, it was just like the wind. One minute he wasn't there, and the next minute he was so there that there was not a doubt in my mind that what he was telling me was an absolute fact that if I left that night of that revival and I did not get saved as an eight-year-old boy, I truly believed in my heart, I'll die tonight. It was that real. It was real. It was not a, well, everybody needs to be saved. Why won't you just come forward and get saved? It was not a casual thing. There was no, uh, there, there was no skip in my step when I went up to the altar. I had to go up in full-fledged conviction and stop my dad in the middle of preaching. Let me just tell you, that's not something I would do. And I would not recommend anybody else do it either. But I, my mom said, you want to get saved, you have to stop him. And I thought, that's crazy. No, I would never do that. And then moments later, I'm up on my feet and I'm walking down and I'm my dad's like, what's going on? I said, I got to get saved. And that was it. That was all she wrote. We got down. And when I got down in that altar and I began to pray in my mind as an eight-year-old, I remember thinking, I don't, I don't know if I understand, God. I just know I need to ask you to forgive me and ask you to save me. And the Bible said, if I believe that you will. And I remember this moment. And, and I, for some reason, I had it in my mind that if I wanted to be saved, I had to give my whole heart to God, right? And in my mind, I, and I said, God, I'll give you anything if you'll save me. I'm bargaining for salvation. 
And then in my heart, it's silly. I know you're going to think it's silly. I think it's a little silly. But in my heart, I thought, what about your bicycle? It was new at the time. I really liked it. And I felt a wall break in my heart. And I said, God, you can have my bicycle. And I got so saved that there's nothing I can do to be unsaved. I got so born again that I went from being a fleshy little eight-year-old boy to an eternal being, born again, who the Bible said, I became a new creature, that old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. And when I got up, it was a new birth. It was brand new. Everything was new. And that suddenly I understood a spiritual thing that before I could not understand because suddenly I knew what it was like to hear Him speak to me. I knew what it was like for Him to enjoy me. And I didn't get up and, and run a lap. I've seen people shout when they got saved. I've seen others stand with tears in their eyes and just say, He saved me. And, and, and all that's great and all that's well. That's not what matters. What matters is this. That you were born again. But there's no work of your flesh that can reproduce what a spiritual birth will do in your life. You know why some people can never be happy in church? They've never been born again. They've never been born again. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, right? The witness of you saying, I'm saved, is not enough. You need the witness of the Holy Spirit. Where is that witness? Where's that witness? Amen? The reason some people can't ever get victory over sin in their life, no matter what they do, is because they've never been born again. They're like Nicodemus. They're putting on the robe. They're getting up and they're going. They're saying the right things. They're trying to be a part. But inside, here's what the Lord said about them. He said, you're, you're whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. There's no life. Because the only way life, joy, peace, temperance, goodness, the only way those things come into us is through a supernatural spiritual birth. Me giving God my bicycle didn't save me. Me putting my faith and my life in the hands of Jesus Christ, believing that He is the Son of God, and trusting that if He said He would save me, He'll do what He said He would do, that saved me. I've never been the same. Have I sinned since then? Way more than I did before I was eight years old. Have I made mistakes? Absolutely. But I've never been the same. I'll never be the same. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I mentioned it. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. There's a powerful distinction between the physical and the spiritual, between the flesh and the spirit, and that is two different births. Have you, you, everybody looking this way, we're about done here. Have you, sir, ma'am, young person, have you been born once? Okay. Yes, you have. Have you been born twice? Because here's what Jesus said, marvel not. You must be born again. There is no amount of you coming to church and sitting in the pew and listening to the preaching and singing in the choir or getting involved, or being in ministry, or whatever, that will ever pass you from death unto life. 
if there had been, Nicodemus would have long already have done it. He gave his whole life to ministry and to the faith and religion. Here's what Jesus said. You die like you are right now, you won't even see God. What a powerful statement. How do you think church attendance and church membership is, is going to get you in? Well, my husband's a good man. Well, my wife is a good Christian. Well, my children are in the youth group. Or, or well, you know, we go to Sunday school. Or, or we pass out this track every once in a while. Or, or we give to the church. God help. None of those things will ever. None of those things will ever change you. None of those things will ever give you a new life. None of those things will ever get you into heaven and out of hell. Only one thing can save you. It's a second birth. So let me ask you a simple question this morning. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? If you have not, and you've never claimed to be, can I tell you, right now, right now is the time. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.